You're listening to the Roundtable Podcast, Episode 38. Hello, dear friends. I'm Dave Robison, and you're listening to the Roundtable Podcast. Each week on the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come on the show and pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. Now, sadly, there is no us. Uh, Brian uh, was called away for an emergency uh, prenatal doctor's thing, uh, uh, and we certainly wish him all the best. And heck, by the time this episode drops, the kid's probably been born and he's already an old pro at it. But for now, uh, with with the the glancing back in time, uh, uh, send your prayers backwards to Brian uh, and hopes and best wishes because he's going to make an awesome dad. However, our ultimate goal is to take the raw idea and transform it into literary gold. Uh, and we never do this alone. Uh, we always are, are graced and, and delighted to have uh, a guest host joining us. And for this episode, we are pleased to welcome back to the big chair, uh, co-editor of the Dark Faith and Dark Faith Invocations Anthology, uh, author of the soon-to-be-released, we are all hoping sometime in 2013, uh, Breaking the World, the launch of a new apocalyptic series, uh, uh, and general purveyor of awesomeness, Jerry Gordon. Jerry, thanks for coming back, man, and helping us workshop a story. We appreciate it. No problem. Had a great time earlier. Oh, yes, that was that was a superb 20 minutes with. I think there's much writerly goodness to be had, uh, and we anticipate more today. But uh, Jerry, I, I know that you've got you've got books coming out, you've got stories coming out. I can only imagine there is a veritable uh, a cornucopia of wildness that's going on in your schedule. Would you be Would you take a minute and just share with our listeners uh, uh, what's coming up for you? Uh, what are you doing? Where are you going to be? And and where we can find out more? Right. Well, as far as where I'm going to be, uh, I've got one more event uh, scheduled for this year, which is actually coming up next weekend in Indianapolis. Uh, there's a, a non-for-profit group called Second Story that does uh, work helping uh, kids uh, learn how to, to write. And uh, there's going to be a, uh, a fundraiser for them. I'll be there. Maurice Broadus will be there. Uh, Kat Valenti, Laird Barron, Gary Braunbeck. Oh, wow. Uh, That's an all-star cast. Yeah, yeah. So um, they're doing... Uh, small intimate workshops on different uh, sections of fiction. They're all masters of what they do, and uh, it's going to be a good time. Uh, as a matter of fact, the capper on it is a giant game of zombie tag, <laughs> which which I, I don't know yet what my role in that part is, but I just want a role. <laughs> I see you as patient zero, Jerry. There you go. <laughs> um so that's the last appearance uh, set up for this year, and, and uh, things won't start up again until MoCon in May of next year. Okay. Uh, but uh, between now and then, uh, right now, uh, just released, I have Dark Faith Invocations, yes. which is the follow-up to the uh, Stoker, Nebula, Black Quill-nominated uh, Dark Faith. It's a anthology of short fiction, 26 stories from some Pretty heavy hitters in genre fiction. People like, um, see now I'm looking down the list and drawing a blank here all of a sudden. Tim Pratt, Mike Resnick. Who's ever heard of Mike Resnick? Oh, yeah, really. The guy who makes everyone cry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jay Lake, Tom Piccarilli. Uh, 
you know, it, it, it is uh, just a fabulous collection centered around the idea of the testing of faith from a wide variety of worldviews and perspectives. So everything from atheism to magic and the organized stuff in between. And who's that available from? Uh, that's available from Apex Publications. Okay. You can go to uh, apexbookcompany.com uh, or amazon.com and find it. Just search for Dark Faith Invocations. Uh, so that's out now. Also out now, I have a story in the latest issue of Shroud called Ghost in the Machine, uh, which uh, actually is pretty uh, relevant to the moment. It's a political story. That a shock. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it takes place in a near future where Democrats and Republicans are the minority party. And there's a new party called the Sons of Liberty. And the story deals with... Uh, third-party politics, torture bans, and a mysterious ghost program that threatens to unhinge the country. That sounds intriguing. So that's out right now as well. Um, coming up, I've got a short story called Vampire Nation that is in an anthology. It's a tribute anthology uh, called Vampires Don't Sparkle. Very cool. And that's that's to benefit uh, uh, cancer research, right? Yeah, it's uh, to benefit. The proceeds go to breast cancer research in the honor of Sarah J. Larson, okay. who was uh, uh, a member of uh, the genre writing community uh, that was much loved and uh, went away far too soon. And then the last thing coming up is Breaking the World, which is uh, an uh, end-of-the-world apocalyptic thriller uh, that will be out through Apex uh, in 2013. But unlike most end-of-the-world apocalyptic thrillers, you're actually going to take us through the end of the world instead of having it already happen, which is awesome. Yes, it's, you get the best parts. That's exactly, exactly. You know, and I love, I love the books that jump ahead and jump back, but, you know, sometimes you want to actually see everything fall apart. Yes, that deconstruction is fascinating. So that's, that's out next year, and uh, I think that's about it right now. Okay, awesome. Well, we'll make sure all of that gets into the liner notes. That's, that's outstanding, Jerry. Um, what I'd like to do right now, if we could, is uh, just pause for a moment to share some airtime with a, uh, another podcast or a fabulous ebook or Kickstarter project or whatever happens to be the, the awesomeness du jour. And uh, when we return, we'll workshop a story. What do you say? Sounds great. I think so, too. Friends, don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. The Flash Pulp Podcast. Three to ten minutes of fiction brought to you thrice weekly. Now it's three, three, three apocalypses in one. Suffering from tough, stuck-on humans? Well, 20 hellish hours of suffocation in the all-encompassing web of Carwick the Spider God will get them right out. Too many brains lying around? The ravenous mouths surrounding zombie-fighting Ruby will quickly clean those up. Nosy neighbors? Infect them with the murder plague and watch as they dissolve into paranoid maniacs bent on the preemptive assassination of their friends and family. Why stop at one end of the world when you can have all three? You can find them all at flashpulp.com or search for them on iTunes. Welcome back, friends. Thanks for sticking around. And now comes 
the best part, where we actually sit down and start brainstorming some story awesomeness. And that is impossible without the grace and beneficence of a courageous and creative guest writer. And dear friends, our guest writer for this episode is a mild-mannered groundskeeper by day and a hardcore metalhead by night who also happens to have a passion for writing. Um, he started out writing World of Warcraft fan fiction, which I'm coming to learn is a huge, huge thing in the world uh, and has continued on from there. He's written a couple of short stories, currently working on his first book. Uh, uh, he's even started a blog at DC. C. Scholes, that's C-H-O-L-E-S dot com. We'll make sure that's linked in the liner notes as well. And when he's not sitting behind his computer banging on keys like a chimpanzee, you can find him at one of Gainesville's community theaters because he's got acting chops, yo. Uh, well, lurking backstage with the orga organizing the actors, but still, he's got the theater bug, as so many of us do. Dear friends, welcome to the writer's chair at the roundtable, Mr. Dan Scholes. Dan, thanks, man, for, for <laughs> offering up a story. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. Love the intro. Ah, uh, well, you know, when you give me good material, Dan, I can riff on that for miles, baby. <laughs> well, so, I try. So, so you you were rocking the world of Warcraft fan fiction. That was your that yep. was your impetus. What 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 took you from playing World of Warcraft and you know that whole immersive online experience to actually wanting to create your own stories? I, it was just kind of a, a natural transition, I guess, as I was. Uh, working on fan fiction, I started getting other ideas for you know short stories and doing other things. So it just kind of snowballed from there, I guess. Outstanding, sure. I, as many writers and authors have pointed out, the ideas come when you write. If you're having a tough time coming up with an idea, write something. You will get six more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As, as I write, I usually have uh, like a list of ideas and things that come to mind at the bottom of the page or whatever I'm writing, and that sure. list usually just grows and grows. That's excellent. That's excellent. So you have a, a backlog of creative mojo to get to. Yeah, I just can't delete anything, even stuff I don't use. <laughs> I got a, a little pile in the corner of the computer of edited ideas and all kinds of things. Awesome. Well, speaking of ideas, you've brought a story for us to workshop. Yes. So let's, let's get into that bad boy, shall we? Okay. All right. Now we're going to give you five to eight minutes, Dan, and uh, give us give us the title if you have one, uh, genre, format, introduce us to the world, the characters, give us the basic story points uh, that we can work with, and then we will dive in and start brainstorming this bad boy. The mic, sir, is all yours. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> this is the basically the bare bones of the idea, and I'm not married to any of this. So, okay. Uh, I don't have a title yet. I'm looking to go novel length with this. I wanted to write a cyberpunk story, but it's looking to be more like straight-up science fiction. Uh, my hook line is, uh, the planet's first 51% cyborg has to come to grip with his new abilities while tracking down a psychopath that uses special nanites to control his victims and make them commit suicide. Uh, my theme... Uh, no matter how difficult the problem is, if you put your heart and soul into solving it, chances are you will succeed. Uh, in my world, I'm creating a whole new world. I don't have a name for my world yet either. <laughs> I'm working on names of things. <laughs> and it's mostly going to take place in a major city populated by millions of people. 
Uh, this is a planet with no axial tilt, so there's no change of seasons. The humanoids have been evolving on this planet for millions of years. It's a very geologically stable place, so there hasn't been any extinction events. Everybody at this point on the planet is a cyborg. On your 16th birthday and still a virgin, you have your ascension ceremony. A person from the ministry comes to the ceremony and injects you with your nanites. You fall asleep, and while the nanites analyze you and decide what level of cyborg to make you, uh, the party will continue, and the person from the ministry monitors your progress and then will record what level of cyborg you are when you wake up. Uh, most of the planet comes out of this process as a 15% cyborg, but on rare occasions, some people will become like a 20 to 40% cyborg. Now, the ministry I'm still working on. Basically, I know it's going to be like a secret society. Uh, they want to keep control of the nanite supply because that's all they have. So in an effort to maintain their, their power, the ministry has become a, a closed society, and it's like invitation only. My characters, uh, my protagonist is named Charlie. He's, of course, 16. The story's going to open up on his ascension ceremony. He's, has, he comes from a middle-class upbringing, and all he really wants to do right now is hang out at the theater, putting together light shows for the plays his actress girlfriend performs in. His weakness is he's really never had to deal with adversity. He's had it pretty easy up to now. Uh, his girlfriend is Adina. She's had the same upbringing. Like I said, she's an actress. Uh, there's a person from the ministry that gives him his injection. Her name is going to be Marsha. She's going to be his contact inside the ministry as the story progresses. The antagonists are going to be the intelligent nanites Charlie gets infected with. Or not really infected, but he gets injected with. Uh, they're the ones that are going to be pushing him to make changes, do different things, and kind of push the story along. I have a bad guy. He's a, going to be portrayed as a psychopath. He was a high. He is a high-level ministry person, who's going to be a victim of a lab accident, who gets exposed to experimental nanites that make his brain snap. My story. Okay. Charlie just wants to be a 15% cyborg like most of the planet. However, when he gets his injection of recently sentient nanites, they decide to make him the first 51% cyborg ever. While he is coming to grips with his new abilities, a psychopath's plans will come to fruition and the hijacker rides his first victim to their death. The nanites are going to figure out that there is something wrong and try to convince Charlie to do something. Charlie's going to refuse at first until one night the nanites hack into the psychopath's signal and make him witness what's going on. And so Charlie will have to witness a person being forced to commit suicide. And then he's going to realize that this could possibly happen to his girlfriend because her ascension ceremony is coming up soon. So he becomes really motivated to stop what's happening because he doesn't want his girlfriend to get infected with these. After the nanites figure out how to counteract what the psychopath is doing, Charlie has to start chasing down victims through the city so he can touch them. So some of his nanites can transfer over and stop the attack. Of course, there'll be a try and fail cycle with this. Um, while he's saving one of the victims, the nanites will track the signal back to its source 
and Charlie will then be able to figure out that it's a ministry person and have to come up with a plan on how to deal with this guy and ultimately take him out. Okay. Did I make the time? Oh, Does totally. Something to work with? Dude, oh my God. Uh, uh, yes and yes. Uh, okay. Resoundingly on both scores. Very cool. Oh, man. I got through that without coughing even. Excellent. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Okay. Um, so that's that. That's done. You made it. That's it. Yes. Now to the fun part. Uh, now, very important that, uh, uh, first of all, we need to give you our disclaimer. Um, and that is that during the course of this discussion, you are going to hear amazing ideas, brilliant, wonderful, dripping with literary gold concepts uh, from both Jerry and myself. Uh, uh, actually, what probably is going to be more closer to the truth is that it might be all complete bullshit. Um, this is this is your story, Dan. This is completely your baby, and you are free to take from this buffet of awesomeness we lay before you as you see fit. Uh, because really, it might be complete twaddle. Uh, this is this is just a couple of new perspectives on the idea that's been bouncing around in your head for no doubt quite a while. Sound good? Yes, sounds excellent. Okay, now what are you looking for specifically out of this conversation? Is there anything in particular that you want us to focus on? Um. I do have a few problems. Okay. One was I was working on the idea of what made uh, the guy at the ministry snap. Okay. And I kind of came up with that idea that I pitched as I was working on my pitch for the show here. Okay. I wasn't sure how that worked. Okay. Um, so work on the uh, antagonist or one of the antagonists. Gotcha. Right. Uh, I don't have a real good reason other than I, I want them to have to be virgins when they do the, when they go through the ascension ceremony. Although, um, if I really need to go into exactly why that's important or anything, if it's even a big deal. Okay. Um, a minor detail. We, we, we have bigger fish to fry. But if that ends up on the list, and, and actually it might, it might very well as we explore through some of this. I, I wasn't even sure if it, exactly why it was a huge, hugely important or not. Okay. Um, and my sentient nanites. Um, I'm not exactly sure what made them sentient yet. Okay. I would I would like for it to be that only the ones in Charlie, and that he's the only one that they talk to. Okay. All right, we can explore that. We can explore. That. I think I think there's a lot of things to dig into, and a lot of of, of thematic elements and character elements to explore. So let's go ahead and do that. Uh, uh, it is our custom here at the roundtable uh, to to grant the uh, guest host first privileges uh, of starting the discussion off. So Jerry, um, first impressions of Dan's story idea, uh, questions of clarification, things that didn't quite make sense, or that you want clear before we launch into this. Start off. Start off our discussion, sir. Sure, sure. Uh, well, first, uh, it's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Thank you and, for doing this. I do appreciate it. <laughs> oh, you're, you're quite welcome. It's my pleasure. Um, right off the bat, since we were talking about things that uh, you were kind of hung up on a little bit, uh, not sure why they need to be virgins, not sure why the nanites are sentient, um, I, I'm just going to start off with a piece of advice, which is don't worry about that right now. Um, if your gut's telling you that it should be that way, just go with it. Uh, I've, I find a lot of times personally that those questions answer themselves in the process of writing the book and that often because you're subconsciously walking around with that question, you're subconsciously pushing it towards an answer that ends up making a lot of sense. 
So, um, you know, just up front, I would say just to kind of trust yourself with that. Oh, I will. Um, Good advice. Yes. Uh, as, as far as the, the, the story pitch goes, I, I do have a question for you up front that kind of would push where I would, where I would think about this story. There's, there's a really good uh, a writer named Tim Isaiah who uh, uh, teaches at Seton Hill who talks a lot about the idea of there being two types of readers. Uh, basically, the first type being a new experience reader who really needs the book to be fresh and plow new ground and go in interesting, unexpected directions. And then the other type of reader you have is the habitual reader uh, who um, has uh, an area that they're interested in and they're not opposed to deviating from the conventions of it, but they they really, it's kind of like a meat and potatoes reader. They, they want... They want something that has a familiar feel to it, with maybe a new twist. And and my first question would be where you would see yourself in that more new experience with this story, or more, you know, this is something more conventional. Um, I think I'm going to go with the more conventional. I think. Okay. Okay. Um, the, the, one of the reasons I ask is when you started pitching the story, you immediately started with. Uh, you know the, the world full of people who are are cyborgs, and it immediately felt very, very familiar to me. And, and one of the one of the challenges with that, of course, is that editors read stuff over and over again, and sometimes feeling too familiar can can work against you. Um, okay. But uh, to to compliment you here, as soon as you got to the part where you started talking about on your 16th birthday, you know, you ascend and these nanites are introduced and, and all of a sudden that was immediately interesting to me. Yeah. So that, that, didn't, that okay. didn't feel well-worn at all. That felt like, I wonder what, what you're going to do with this. This sounds really interesting. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so um, uh, let's see your other thoughts. Um, I definitely dig the idea of you kind of coming at Charlie's character from the point of view that everyone is generally 15%-ish nanite and he's the first one that's off the chart and so he doesn't fit in. Yeah, I right. think that, that works really well with your target audience here because that's, that's the fundamental theme of that age is finding a way to fit in. Yeah. yeah and yeah. that's all he's really been focused on. He just... He just wants to be normal and average. <laughs> you know, and I, and I think you could probably take uh, real-life uh, aspects of either what you've lived through or what you've seen people live through as far as not fitting in and, and really kind of juxtaposite. Wow. <laughs> Do a juxt- no worries, I'm with you. Juxtaposition there of go. those two ideas, kind of overlay them. Um, so as far as problems go, uh, the, the first problems that, that really, the first things you said that raised red flags for me, uh, when you brought up Charlie being approached to be the one to go out and stop this, and, and you were cutting in and out a little bit, so I didn't hear whether it was the ministry approaching him or no, the nanites the, were pushing the, him. The nanites, yeah, the, uh, the recently sent in nanites are going to realize that you know, something's amiss. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I haven't really exactly worked out all those details yet, which I'll probably figure out as I'm writing it, but they're going to be the ones that are going to notice that 
you know, people are being hijacked. Why, and why did that raise a flag for you, Jerry? Um, well, you know, you have a, a fundamental problem when you're dealing with a, a YA protagonist. I'll, I'll just call it the Anakin problem. The- where you, uh, you, if you're going to put a young adult in a position like this where they're hunting down somebody who's basically a serial yeah. killer, right. you, you have to do it in a way that's very believable both to their abilities and the situation. I thought about if he needed to be older. No, well, I don't, I don't think so. Like I said, I'm not married to any of the ideas. I'm just this is how I've kind of seen it and started no, that's sure, going sure. out I with like it. The age. I like the age. Me too. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, no, I, I'm just saying that that's a challenge to it. You know, and my example is, you know, if you go back to Anakin and the prequels, right, right. Um, it, it just looks ridiculous to have. I forget how old he was supposed to be, like eight. You know, piloting a starship that he doesn't know how to. It, it, it just comes off as <laughs> ludicrous. Yeah. And, and and that's what you have to guard against. Yep. Right. Right. And we can we can definitely address that in the discussion. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the other the other red flag that uh, that that I really felt when you when you were talking about solving the the mystery so that you can go after this guy, I think you have to be careful uh, because your first impulse was the nanites solve it, and if you can find a way to do this. Uh, I would highly recommend finding a way, even if the nanites are helping, find a way for Charlie to figure out the solution. Well, definitely, um, definitely. They're they're just going to like point him in in the di- direction. He's right. over here, right? You know, and and I think them playing a supporting role works fine, but you want him to make that active jump. Right. You know? Yeah, but he's uh, other than them pointing him in the right, like, saying that he's over there. He was the one that's going to have to figure out because um, it's going to be a hairy thing, because it's a high-level ministry person. Nobody's going to be really sure what's going on, and he's going to have to figure out okay how to confront him and what mm-hmm. exactly to do about it. Uh, they're going to tell him okay, well he's over there, but the rest of it he's going to have to figure out. Can I jump in here real quick, Jerry? Please. Um, I, I think that the the point that, that Jerry is making is, is the concept of protagonist agency. Um, the protagonist being in charge and driving the story forward. Right. Uh, okay. And, and, I, I am, okay. Okay. I, I got you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and it's a, a particularly large problem when you're dealing with a YA protagonist because essentially we live in a world where you have the abilities but not the rights yet. You know, right. you're, you're, you're at you. a point where you're almost an adult. You can almost take charge, but you're not quite allowed to do it yet. And it, it creates problems you, because you want them to be active. Right, right, right. Very much so. Let me let me just jump in with my initials. I know I know you have more thoughts, Jerry, and so do I. Um, let me just throw out some initial stuff. Um, first of all, uh, and Jerry, you just invoked it actually. Ya, um, Dan, your your protagonist is 16 years old, and uh, he's dealing with issues that are endemic of teenagers coming of age and finding their place in the world. Is this a YA book? Well, I hadn't originally intended to, to be a YA book, but if it works better as YA, I'm not, you know, against, okay. You know, writing it that way. I just, I just wanted to put that on the table as, as consideration because I mean, that would require a, a little research on your part and an understanding of the unique aspects of that particular subgenre of uh, spec fic and genre fiction. So just, just something to, to sit in, set aside as a possible consideration. 
Um, w- some of the things uh, I will I will echo Jerry's uh, uh, concerns about the the agency and the the uh, aggressiveness of your protagonist, and I think we can we can actually work with that a little bit. Uh, another thing that that concerns me, and it's a it's it's not a red flag. It's kind of an amber flag. It's like hey, um, but your theme. Uh, the theme ends with chances are you'll succeed. And I'm kind of of a mind that themes don't have gray areas. Um, right. They might explore gray areas, okay, yeah. but they are very freaking definitive. It's like, if you put your heart to it, you will succeed. And just some uh, that I wanted to put that out there as well just as a consideration if you have a strong theme if you know what you want to say and you got to say it then yes it informs everything about that well and and well my girlfriend pointed out that that my theme line was weak yeah it's it's a little (laughs) issue and and i think that we might actually explore some others because uh one thing that i've noticed that a lot of the words that you use are very religious which is why I think it's very cool that Jerry's on this on this workshop. Um, things like ascension and ministry, and and I think you had mentioned when we were talking uh, before the interview about the the ministry people wearing looking like monks, right, in their robes. Um, and then you have this culture that has evolved very slowly uh, uh, in terms of glacial uh, right. growth uh, for millions of years. Um, and then you've got these nanites that seem to be almost like uh, uh, in, in Jules Verne's time, there was the ether, uh, this, this mysterious thing that connected all things. It was their, their first attempt at a, at a, at a oh, what's the scientific term, a universal theory, a field theory. Um, and it's, it's, there's something there, and I'm not going to explore it right now, but I just wanted to put that out there. That I think there's another theme that you're exploring that I think having a young protagonist might be really cool, and that is the nature of stagnation, the nature of the spirit of, of life, not just humanity, but of life in general, and, and how it manifests in terms of highly complex environments like nanites and human beings. Just wanted to put that out there. For consideration. One question I have is um, everybody's a cyborg. Everybody has these nanites. What does right. that do for them? What are the specific benefits, assets, powers that everybody in the whole world has as a result of being infected by nanites? Um, some of this is a work in progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Absolutely. basic, like the 15 percenters, that gives you the ability to um, you know, do all the average everyday Cyborg, you can directly what? jack into your computer okay. and and access it like that. Gotcha. Um, that which is where a lot of the fifteen percent technology is going to. Um, so communication, being and able to communication and information direct, access. Right to jack okay. directly into computers, okay. whatever ones you happen to be needing to use at the time. What else? Um, what about health benefits? Yes, if you can get by until your 16th birthday when you get your injection of the cybernetic creating nanites they will go in and fix whatever physical maladies that you may have um which was another thing that i was trying to figure out why i got a psychopath in a society that is really kept healthy by the nanites yeah that was my next question that was my next question right that that was the, the 
one of the problems I was trying to figure out is, is I need to have this guy who snaps, basically, mm-hmm. but in a society where this really isn't supposed to happen. Okay. All right. Cool. And uh, uh, the fact that, and, and one last thing I want to put out there because I want to explore it later, is uh, Marsha, uh, the ministry person who injects Charlie with these radical, bizarre, never-before-seen nanites. Um, I just want to put a put a little little uh, uh, post-it note on her forehead uh, and come back to her later because the fact that she's the one that injects him with these sentient nanites that are unique and different from every other nanite in the universe, right. I which, think is which very is where telling. I'm trying to yeah, that's that's one of one of the inconsistencies or problems. No, I'm no, no. To... Oh no, sir. Oh no, that's not a problem at all. That's good uh. stuff. <laughs> Okay. So, all right, those are those are my initial first thoughts. Jerry, where do we go with this? What can we do? Uh, well, let's see. Well, first of all, you raised the question of whether it's YA or not. And uh, uh, Dan seemed to be uncertain. And, I, and I've been in this realm before. Uh, we, we were talking earlier about a science fiction book I'd written right. uh, that, that, that needs another rewrite before it's done. And I wrote it as a an adult book. And I handed it off to a couple CIFWA authors. That I know, and now this looks great. By the way, it's not an adult book. This is a YA book. Here's <laughs> Y, A, B, and C. And uh, I, I, I really, I fought him on it. I, I, no, no, no. This is, I'm doing A, B, and C. This is, this is a big boy book. And uh, they convinced me to give it to a teenager, the draft. And the teenager just went ape shit for it. <laughs> and, oh, and I surrendered, I and, I, and I agreed. I, I, this is a YA book. Yeah. I, I have not even an ounce of doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, and, and YA today is much different than, than it was when you were a kid. There, there is a lot you can do with YA that you couldn't in the past. Yep. Uh, but the, the themes of fitting in, you're, you need to do that at a teenage level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, as I've been, like I said, as I, when I started out, I started out thinking this is going to be Cyberpunk, straight up sci-fi, but I've had the uh, the thought I was wondering if maybe this was going to be YA or not. But. Well, Jerry, how does that how does that alter or or affect the story that's being told? Well, you know, there, there's an interesting point there. I I wouldn't worry about the effect up front. Yeah, uh, you can always if you go too far somewhere, you can always tone it down. Um, the really there there are. YA books with gay characters, there are YA books with murder, there are YA books with sex. Uh, there's really, as long as you keep in mind what your audience is and what that viewpoint is, there, there's very little you can do, you, you can't do. Um, and there, there are some places that, that do have limits. I mean, from a market perspective, uh, I've talked to Sherilyn November over at Viking before, and no sex. For her, for her imprint, no sex. You know, and that, it's not hard to take it out. Sure. Um, well, but, can, can, can you have it happen off screen? Right, right. That's, that's what yeah. I like to do. Okay, yeah. Um, but the kiss, you know, the slow fade to black, and we all know what happens. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Or they really want to, and you never let them do it. <laughs> Which is also fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there's an interesting thing with the theme, is, is you were bringing up, uh, Dave, the, uh, the will he succeed, maybe he succeeds versus definitely succeeds. And I think that, you know, that's an interesting question that depends a lot upon what you're writing. 
you know, if you're writing this as a utopian or a dystopian book, you know, you'll have different rules. Uh, you might be able to get away with a, with a less successful outcome. Um, but YA, predominantly, you're, you're going to want them to succeed in the end. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I did. I've seen it, seen them like succeeding in the end. Her, Adina's ascension ceremony, they're pretty close in age, is supposed to be taking place. Right now, I've been writing it like a month after his. Mm-hmm. I'm not set in any timelines. That's an excellent dramatic opportunity, by the way. There are possibilities there because obviously Charlie's unhappy with what's happened to him. You know, right. not, not only from a fitting in point of view, but I would suspect that you're writing this in such a way that, you know, there's some level of feeling that he's fighting for his own humanity and his own ability to decide things with right. that large amount of nanites. Um, so, so uh, you know, you might play with where you, where you put her ascension in the stream of things because, uh, you know, it can very easily become a kind of mid-book objective or a, a along-the-way objective to stop her ascension because he's afraid it could go horribly wrong like his. Yes. Right. Yes. Or okay. if he doesn't stop it, the internal conflict of what if it does do that to her? What if she changes? Right. He's going to be worried about her being taken over. Well, and, and he's a teenager, too, so he's going to be worried about how that affects him. You know, what oh, yeah. if she becomes a different person and doesn't love him anymore? Yes, that's going to be one of his concerns. Um, let me, let me uh, take a whack at Charlie uh, a little bit here. Um, and... and I, I ahead, use a, use a big stick if you want. I, I actually what I want to talk about a little bit is about one of the things. As long as we've raised the YA flag, and I think it's good that we did. Um, another thing that uh, is indicative of that young experience as you grow into maturity and adulthood is the banging up against of things that you can't do, things that you want to do that you're not allowed to. Um, or that for whatever reason you are prohibited from doing because you're too young, you don't have the experience, whatever. Uh, somebody is telling you things that you can't do, and there's, there's a struggle against that. Um, uh, one thing that's, that I, we haven't heard about and I'd like to explore is Charlie's parents. Um, what if, and this is, this is a classic round table trope, what if... <laughs> What if Charlie's parents, specifically maybe his father or his mother, um, have come out as advocates against nanite injection? <laughs> okay. What if, what, well, now we're looking at a culture that has effectively, is, is stagnant. And I know they are growing, they just grow very slowly, but you've got a highly technical culture You've got people that are constantly wired in to every piece of information they can access. Um, one thing that occurred to me is that uh, uh, these nanites, Dan, mm-hmm. give people telepathy of a, of a sort. I mean, literally, you think about somebody, and as long as they're on your network, you're, you can be in their head. And there is a, uh, if you wanted to explore that, um, there's that breakdown of individuality. There's that sense of that constant buzzing of an entire planite, planite, there we go, Uh, planet of nanite infected beings who are all on the net 
24-7, 365, or however long the year is in this world. That affects a race, a culture, profoundly. And I'm wondering if maybe... Charlie's parents, and, and they're not the only ones, but there is a group that has arisen recently because there's always some catalyzing event. There's something that needs to change. And maybe the thing that needs to change at this point in your story is that the culture needs to start unplugging from the nanites a little bit and having quiet time to themselves. Maybe his father has created an illegal device that shuts down the communications array in your nanite body so you can be alone for a while or puts up some kind of field and sure yeah whatever whatever the technology is the notion that you can literally be off the grid which is wrong and he's catching all kinds of flack and people are throwing rocks or whatever you know throwing eggs and protesting and they're massive political and societal heat and here's a 16 year old who didn't ask for any of this damn stuff and now he's now he has a reason to want to be just like everybody else because he's not because his parents have basically made his life a living hell, and how many <laughs> how many teenagers have experienced that? Um, so I think that might give Charlie a little more uh, 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 cojones and a little more gravitas not gravitas but 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 uh, conflict in his life. Jerry, what do you think? Are we is that is that something worth pursuing? Yeah, and actually I I was writing down a few details as you were talking here, both from the perspective of filling in details on Charlie uh, broadly and also what you were talking about as far as the parents and the society. Uh, Because, and I've grappled with this myself, we were talking in the earlier segment uh, about a book that I'd written that will be out next year where I wrote the first 50 pages and threw them aside. And uh, the, the book takes place in a uh, religious commune uh, that, that uh, I'm not going to go too far into that. But basically, when I started writing the story, I wrote the main character as a true believer. And that had two problems. The first problem is, is that the reader is not going to be a true believer, so it's a bad entry. Uh, but the second is there's very little room for internal commentary or external conflict if everyone agrees that this is the right way. So I actually started again from ground zero, and instead of writing a character that's a true believer, I wrote someone who is a teenager who's there because they have to be uh, and doesn't buy into any of it. And so all of a sudden I had an avenue for quite a bit of commentary and conflict. And I think you have the same thing here in the way that First, I think it's a bit unrealistic. It would depend upon the timing of the nanites, how long they've been around. If they haven't been around for more than a generation, I would think it's, it's somewhat unrealistic to have this harmonious uh, world where everyone's in agreement that this is a good thing. The, 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 the nanite, people have been cyborgs for a long, long time. Okay, well then, like into thousands of years that cybernetics okay. have been around. Okay, well then, then it should be the way that you're, that, that you're describing it then. It should probably be a society that they think this is the way to go. Um, As far as playing with the idea that maybe the parents are subversive, um, there's definitely some, I I, I agree uh, with Dave that there's some interesting stuff you can do there. Um, There's also, if you make the parents subversive, you know, one of the problems you have with the villain is, of course, his nanites have gone amok, but if we're also plugged in, that's going to be fairly easy 
I would think, for people to figure out where he is or that something's gone wrong with him. Um, if you give yourself some story avenue, and it could be the parents, it could be something else, where people can pull themselves out of this cybernetic link, kind of go off grid, then you're providing an early, an early story avenue for, that can pay off later for why the villain is able to do these things. You know, it's very similar to the to the uh, the mystery writers code that you you never produce a gun in Act Three that you didn't show in Act One. Right. You right. know, so if if the parents or someone else is involved in this going off the grid, it really sets up why it's acceptable and makes sense in this world that this villainous character is able to go off the grid. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that's that's just an idea to play with. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I like I like ideas to play with. That that's, that's why I'm here. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and that 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 creates a, a much a much a much more tangible uh, and richer environment that everyone's maneuvering through. So there's factors that that will inform literally every choice and chapter that you write uh, based on that. One thing that, that occurred to me, just getting on the details, and here we are talking about the virginity thing. Um, it doesn't make sense to me, Dan, that a society that has nanites that makes you healthy and probably extends your life by hundreds of years would not allow their children access to those nanites. There are so many childhood conditions that could be uh, averted if there was some sort of nanite reinforcement of immune systems or or organ repair and so on and so forth that it, it doesn't make sense that these people would deny their children uh, uh, that asset. Now, possibly what they, they don't get the full boost. They get a, a more localized boost, dumb nanites uh, that allow parents to know where their kid is at all times, blah, 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 but they're not jacked into the system yet. And what they receive during their ascension ceremony is a welcoming into the larger world. Well, and, and, and to kind of uh, add to that, yeah, the, there's something that's really missing with the idea of the nanites that I think you could uh, incorporate into the structure of what you're talking about, and that is, what is the price for this power? Yes. So, you know, the same, the same way that, that Dave is saying there has to be a reason or rationale why we're waiting. You know, are we giving smaller doses early or only spot doses in emergencies because there's a danger at a younger age? You know, why, why, is, you know, why is there an age point where this, this works physiologically? And I think, you know, as soon as you start thinking about that, immediately you think about, well, what's the price for all this? Yeah. You know, and you can play with it two directions. You, of course, you've got the societal price. You know, as soon as you start talking about everybody being linked in all the time, you know, what, what, you know, what's the situation with virtual reality with that? What's the situation Ooh, with yeah. our ability to uh, decipher each other's thought processes? You know, how, how much of a collective do we become? Oh, God. You know, that, that's a social price. Um, but there also can be a hidden physical price. Um, that may or may not be, be talked about. And there, as we've been talking, there are three or four or five books that I've been thinking of to, to recommend before we get done. Please. Um, oh, please. But, but one of them I'll recommend to you that, that deals specifically with this idea of a hidden price and also deals with uh, what Dave talked about earlier, that kind of 
religious order built around uh, kind of a, a nanite expansion of, of humanity. Um, there's a, a, a young adult slash adult author named Scott Westerfeld um, who uh, wrote a duology, uh, and it's science fiction, um, but it's, it's uh, called The Risen Empire. And in the case of Westerfeld's books, the, the kind of nanite transformation is the, the promise of immortality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and the, the back end of that, as you go through the two books, is the hidden price. And, and he starts with the social and eventually gets to this damning physical hidden secret that is not, uh, you know, a price to be paid today or tomorrow. It's the price to be paid generations down the road, physically. Jerry, that's, that's freaking brilliant. You know, that notion of immortality yeah. ties in so beautifully with that religious overtone of ascension and ministry. And it also ties into the notion of you can't have sex because we control yeah. who, who gets to breed and who doesn't. Because well, and, and, and the Risen Empire very much is centered around the idea of once something like this becomes available, the control of it re, re, restructures the entire society. Yes, uh, as far as the 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 the, uh, the power structure of it, yeah, yeah, yeah. What other what other texts? Uh, Linda Nagata wrote a book uh, that I'm extremely fond of, uh, probably about a decade ago, called Memory. Okay. And uh, it deals with the last vestiges of humanity who live in these small atoll communities uh, on a world where nanites have gone amok and continually reshape reality around them okay um and so it it, i would suggest it because i think it would maybe expand your mind to some of the possibilities of of what you're playing with yeah 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 Yeah, definitely um the the third one that i would suggest to you um is actually uh bbc television show um you were talking about that kind of chase Second, second act, you know, where you're trying to catch the villain, right, right, and, and you know that that back and forth interplay. Yes. Uh, Steve, Stephen Moffat, uh, a screenwriter who uh, has done work for Doctor Who, it is brilliant. Uh, yes, absolutely, <laughs> and um, he did one called Hyde, uh, which is a Jekyll and Hyde one in real life, and that's excellent. But he, but he's done the the a BBC uh, modern day version of Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yes. Uh, this is available on Netflix, and you can get the DVDs. Uh, but the first season, it's only three episodes. The, first, the third episode of the first season is called The Great Game. And it is completely centered around that kind of cat and mouse that, yeah. that you're talking about. And it is absolutely brilliant in its, its play back and forth between Holmes and his arch rival, which is Moriarty. Uh, yes, that was a superb episode, and yeah, a wonderful exploration of of that sort of taunting of of the evil, you know, psychopath. I don't know if we want to go there, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, I, I, those are those are three things that you know, based upon kind of the emotions you're trying to get to, books that my mind immediately jumped to that might inspire you. Very um, cool. The, the only other one that I would recommend actually isn't a, a fiction book. It's nonfiction. Uh, and you, you mentioned that you, you do, some, do some work with actors. 
And yep. uh, uh, I don't know if you're aware of a horror writer named Gary Braunbeck. Not, uh, not offhand. Yeah, he, he, he was a, um, uh, he would call himself a middling actor who left acting and became a writer. He, unbelievable reader. One of the great benefits to being an actor is just phenomenal readings. Um, but he's, he's won the Bram Stoker Award, I want to say, seven, eight times now. Oh, man. I mean, I, I did an interview with him. Uh, I've known him for a couple of years, a, a while back, and I was trying to do that thing at the beginning where you summarize his qualifications. Yeah. And I just eventually, I, I kept trying to pare it down, and I eventually arrived at, if you stacked Gary's awards on a table, the table would collapse. <laughs> He's got street cred. What yeah. what what did he what did he write that would be relevant? Well, he um, uh, talks a lot uh, when he does workshops, and he also he he wrote a book called "To Each Their Darkness," which is half uh, an exploration of his life and how he came to write what he writes, and half a tutorial on how he thinks you should write. Um, what he's phenomenally good with is filling in the very real details of characters and, and coming to those little details that completely gel that character in a reader's mind. And when Dave was talking about right now Charlie being kind of an open book, you know, we're fairly archetypal here right now. He, he wants to right. fit in. You know, he wants the things most kids want. Um, Gary talks about the uh, the use of Stanislavski's the method. Yes, the, the acting method. He talks about and what's funny is he'll tell you that all the actors he ever worked with who used the method were horrible. <laughs> <laughs> you know they were absolutely horrible. But when he left acting and tried to apply the method to writing and and characterization, it just it paid off in spades and. Uh, if you don't have the opportunity to take a workshop of his um, or meet him at a convention, I would highly recommend picking up to each of their darkness and reading the sections where he talks about uh, kind of applying the method to fill in the details for those characters. Because it's basically, it's, it's know everything you can possibly know about the character and then speak from that knowledge. And, and none, half 90% of that knowledge never actually comes out in the story. Uh, but the ability, I, I, I'm speaking because I know the Stanislavski method, I'm acting, I, yeah. So, um, but, but having that seat of knowledge and then letting that knowledge inform the words and the emotions and the choices that you make rather than an external, okay, this character would do this now, this character needs to do that now. It's, it's, a, it's a 180 shift where you're literally inside the character and, and letting the character define the choices that they're making and the actions that they choose to take. Well, and on that subject, let me ask a question. Are you, are you uh, writing in first person, third person? Mm, good question. Oh, first person. Okay, excellent, excellent. Then, there you go. Again, yeah. you're in YA territory. Yeah, okay, good point. Good. good point. Yeah, well, I'm not, I wasn't trying to get overly complicated or really try to box out of my weight class here with this. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's all good. So. Let's um let's talk about the bad guy. Jerry, what are your what are your thoughts on the uh, the the ministry psychopath and what he's doing and how he goes about it? How can we amp him up a little bit? Well, right off the bat, the, the that whole idea of price and him going crazy and you might consider pushing Charlie to the edge sometimes of feeling like he's crazy and not in control because 
essentially he's a minority stakeholder in his own body at this point. Um, as far as the 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 bad guy goes, I, I definitely I, I was worried when you said the nanites were the antagonist, and then once you brought in, no, there's going to be this bad guy who's gone crazy because of this stuff. That um, that works for me, but my immediate primary question is why is he doing what he's doing? Because even though he's crazy and even though he's evil, to him, he's, he's, this is his story and he's the hero of it. And he's justified. And he's got a plan. Right. You know, and, and unless you're just going the route of the Joker and it's all chaos. Um, Which I don't recommend. No, no. That's okay. very hard to pull off. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I... What's his plan? Why is he doing what he's doing? Why does he feel justified? Uh, you, you want him to believe that he's right. You know, Hitler thought he was right. Yeah. The most convincing villains believe they're helping everyone. Hmm. Uh, well. And you don't have to yeah. have an answer off the cuff for that. Yeah. But we can riff on it for a little I can't bit. Give a, yeah, let's bounce it around. I can't come up with like an a real good idea right off the cuff. I kind of see in my head what he's doing, but I haven't been able to exactly figure out why, okay, why is he doing this? Other than, other than right now, I just kind of need him to do this to move my story along. Right. I haven't been able to really answer that question well, which has been a concern of mine. Well, well I mean, we could just throw out some ideas. Yeah, go for it. Well, I mean, very superficially, you're already talking about a society that is all one direction and we've cobbled out the idea of maybe there's a small resistance to it. You know, you can go one of two extremes just right off the top of my head. Extreme one is he wants to unplug everyone. You know, and somehow by killing these people, he hopes that it will scare people into unplugging. Or, or, or experimenting with his power over them, and these are failed experiments. Right, right. Because the other direction you could take it is that he believes he has truly ascended in a way that no one else understands. There you go. And uh -huh. here you could play with the idea, what if Charlie isn't the first to go over 51%? What oh. if this guy pegged the needle? Yes. And his plan, what he's actually trying to do is he's trying to refine how to use his abilities to change the balance in other people and maybe bring in charlie since he's also special as his his young apprentice well you could definitely play with a lot of stuff there but yeah. the, the the idea that um that he's not trying to touch them and kill them that he's trying to amp them up and in the process is frying them yeah you nice. know so so they so they are like dave said they're all failed experiments in his plan for greatness well, and, and let me layer something on top of that because uh, that, that, oh God, that's, that's, that's perfect. Um, one thing that struck me is the notion of a beneficent, all-powerful ministry controlling the nanites not having a secret agenda. Um, no, <laughs> they must have a secret agenda. Maybe, you know, uh, 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 this, this is an isolated planet, right, Dan? There's, there's no stellar colonies, blah, blah, blah. No, no. Maybe I there are. 
maybe the ministry has been using the nanites <laughs> right. and using the processing power that all of these biocomputers represent. And they've actually either maybe they've made contact and they're preparing for first contact with an alien species. Uh, maybe, um, oh, geez. Uh, uh, maybe he's, um, maybe, maybe they've already got colonies out there and they've just kept the people in the dark. The idea being is that the ministry ultimately has, uh, an inner echelon of power brokers who are leveraging the, the information and the technology because an immortal race, I mean, which is basically what these people are, it makes sense that they wouldn't evolve because you don't get those catalysts of change that spark the innovations uh, that, that bring about those changes. But maybe, you know, Jerry, you were talking about virtual reality. It's like, oh, maybe there's a virtual world uh, uh, where, where these innovations are played out somehow. Uh, uh, and maybe these people's dreams are a part of that virtual world. The idea being is that our, our bad guy is a part of that inner cabal and he sees bigger things. Or maybe, maybe he sees it as... Um, He's going to save the people from the evil ministry and their manipulations and machinations and expose the truth to them. I don't know, but it, there, there's leverage there. What, what, do you, what do you think about that? Is that making any kind of sense? Yeah. Uh, what I heard does. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Darn I, internet anyway. I know. I know. I'm glad you're getting a good recording of this on your end. Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, but what's been coming through the last couple of minutes has been real sketchy. Well, so. let, let me let me riff on what you were saying there, because um, the virtual reality thing is definitely a direction you can go. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I just that that story we were talking about, Vampire Nation. One of the things I play with is the idea that as soon as you can have the world any way you want it in virtual reality, you stop evolving, because you can have it any way you want it at no cost. Um, but getting back to that Linda Nagata book that I was talking about, where the nanites can actually reshape reality or as, as, as Dave was suggesting, reshape your perception of reality. I, I can see a dynamic kind of forming here where you have the ministry in the middle and perhaps they are filtering everyone's perception to hide reality to some extent. Nice. So you, so you have them kind of sitting in this middle area. And then you have two individuals, your villain and your YA protagonist, Charlie, here, and the villain has ascended to a, a similar level of nanite control of his body and has gone mad, but can now is now free to see the world as it is. Oh, he's a mad god, mad. yes. So, yeah, like you know, that. by converting people, he's showing them the way the real world works as well as giving them this immense power that he's going to have. He's like a dark Neo. Yeah, well, and, and what you can play with that I think is interesting is his, if you're going that way with the villain, that he wants to hypercharge this process and peg the needle for everyone with nanites and ascend, that's the reverse of what Charlie wants. Charlie's been given the same gift he has. Perfect. But he doesn't want to amp it and ascend. He wants to tamp it down and fit in and be normal and be more human. That's a beautiful dark mirror, yeah. So what I'm saying is you could end up with a, a, a protagonist and an antagonist who have both been amped up f enough for reality to be revealed to them, 
but they're having diametrically opposite reactions to that. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> Guys, we are running out of time. I want to throw out one more thing and then okay. go around the table one more time. Um, a, a thought about getting Charlie, uh, kicking Charlie's ass a little bit at the beginning of the show. Um, let me let me set this up a little bit. Uh, we haven't talked about Marsha, the injector of the nanites. Right. Um, but what if Marsha and our ministry bad guy are actually the authors of these new nanites? What if their research and study, they're both renegades, they're both... Um, um, what if they're the same person? Ooh. <laughs> okay. Why, oh, why dude. Not the person who injects him, this isn't an accident. Yes. But this, but, this, oh. this is part of his process, and he's the only one that's lived. Yes. And now, here, so, so there you go. Now, Marsh is the, the ministry agent, bad person. Yes, perfect. And the thing is, is that Charlie was not her intended target. Let's say that your ascension ceremony is not done alone, but with a group of people. And Adina and Charlie both, along with several others, uh, are, are a part of this um, uh, injection of these new nanites that, that brings them to the next level of societal grace. And Adina was his original intended target. He injects her with a full dose of this stuff. Uh, uh, and then, but there's still some residue left over in the syringe or whatever the delivery mechanism is. And so Charlie gets an incidental dose. It's just, he happened to be the last guy in line and it's a mistake that he gets this much. But Adina is then overwhelmed and goes into convulsions and, and, and is, is, is totally in danger of, of being lost to Charlie forever. Charlie getting a lesser dose only gets the 51%. But now he needs to understand, now his girlfriend is going to die if he doesn't get to the bottom of what's going on here. Now he has a reason to get involved. And now we have an idea of who the bad person is. Maybe Marsh is like his aunt or something. You know, maybe that she's, you know, that we can get some conflict with the want. parents and so on and so forth. So, yeah. So, wow. There, woo, there that's what I wanted to say. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> you that out. That's a nice driver. Oh, man. So, you know. uh, let's do one more turn around the table here with final thoughts, uh, suggestions to Dan, uh, ideas to get him, uh, uh, to the keyboard to start cranking this bad boy out. Jerry, uh, final thoughts for Dan and his story. Well, I, you know, let, let me just start out with the positives, which is all the things we've been kind of batting around here. I want to read this book. Yes, so, me too. <laughs> so, you know, you should take that as, you know, as a positive, you know, I, I, I think the trick is you know, finding what we've talked about that works and, and putting that to good use and, and the stuff that you're like, oh, I don't know, you know, jettison that. You know, every, everything that, that we've talked about are just ideas and potential. Yeah. So, um, but I, I think that um, your entry into the story, I think you've picked a good protagonist. I think that... Uh, the, the worries and the concerns of the protagonist, you know, the, the fitting in, the wanting to uh, be like the, the people around them, I think that's uh, very identifiable, very universal. Um, I think that the world, the ramifications of the idea of the nanites will create the interesting world for you. And, and really, that's mostly what we've been riffing on. Yeah. Is, well, hey, if you had this, then... You know, would people see it this way, and what would this group do, and and would people revolt? And there, look for the ways that link things together. So, 
Um, I, I, I really definitely, based on what we've talked about, the idea that the villain is similarly hyped up on nanites uh, to an overwhelming amount, and even though they're crazy, that that they have a plan. You know that 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 plan really reflects the reverse opinion of the the protagonist. That that Charlie wants to be more normal. This guy wants everyone to be Superman. Yeah. Don't, don't you know one one thing that's difficult, and, and I, I say this having done this myself, is um, this is the first one you're doing. Uh, try and keep in your comfort zone. Yeah. You know. Make make use of the things that that sound cool that really work. Um, don't overcomplicate it. There's there's a, uh, a a kitchen sink thing that I I'm definitely guilty of in in the early <laughs> stuff that I've written and and the early stuff I published, where I just I've got so many ideas and I want to get them all in. You know, um, you could always if you continued the story bring in a third party. Yep. Um, I think. Charlie, the ministry, and this villain are more than enough. Yes, yes, I agree. Yeah, and and maybe maybe some friends. You know, uh, I mean, yeah, he needs some kind of sounding board to to bounce off of a maybe not a Scooby Gang, but somebody like that. Maybe the other maybe the other people that were a part of the ascension ceremony. You know, that didn't get the 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 dose of nanites. Maybe they're. I mean, they would be peers. So, well, even, yep. even, even if he's an outcast in his community, outcasts have outcast friends. Yes, yes, that would yeah. help him because they have the inside scoop on the outcast things. Yes. You know, and, and I, when we were talking earlier and I said that I threw out the, the 50 pages and, and took the guy from being a true, the kid from being a true believer to somebody who doesn't believe, um, one of the things that I didn't mention that, that hits right on that is I wrote him as just one character. And then I went back and I gave him a small group. So, and that, that made all the difference. Because that helps you uh, uh, create, like I say, a sounding board. It allows, allows emotions and choices to be bounced around a little bit and, and reflected. And in that reflection with other characters and other perceptions, you start revealing more about each character during that byplay. So, just a thought. Excellent. Very cool. I like your guys' thoughts. <laughs> and and I will affirm, as I always do, everything the guest host just said, because it was awesome uh, and, and very true. I really, really love the, the notion of the immortality that we kind of stumbled on and the effects that would have on a culture. Um, one thing that, that concerns me that's been niggling in the back of my brain since I heard the pitch was there needs to be enough that we can relate to as humans on planet earth in the 20th century so that we can plug in and relate and care. Um, you don't want to create such an alien culture and society that there's no connection. So looking for those opportunities to point out very clearly, uh, not only the differences between this culture that you're evolving in our own, but maybe some of the similarities, which will allow your reader to plug in and engage with the world as well as the characters. Um, I really like what we've done with the bad guy, uh, uh, having, you know, again, that the psychopath thing bothered me. This he's still a psychopath now, but at least he's got, he's got agency. He's got motivation and he's, he's just trying to help everybody out, which is always a wonderful thing for a villain. Um, he knows what's best. 
Every revolution starts with one person. That's right. And I'm wondering, and I'm just going to put this out there and then shut that. Well, I have one. Okay, one, one other thing. Um, one <laughs> well, thing I, hold on, hold on. Does okay. that revolution start with Charlie or does it start with the villain? I think yes. that's the question. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I mean, ultimately at the end, you know, I can see Charlie discovering the machinations of the ministry and actually see the detriment that his race has been inflicted upon that was bad grammar um but the the the, the, okay. the the price of this of these nanites and while he defeats the villain uh and the villain's plan to do it actually finds himself in a position kind of like uh, uh bruce willis at the end of surrogates to actually take action himself and decide that yes we need a, a new change which then of course then launches you into book two which is the aftermath and how the world evolves from there anyway um the, the <laughs> yeah i think you could do multiple books with this oh easily. hell yeah wow. the last bit of advice uh, uh is echoing something that jerry said earlier on when we were talking about ya don't worry about whether or not it's ya or not just write the story learn the characters love them love the world and tell the yep. story that needs to be told and then in revision you can say yeah it is ya or no i'm going to do this whatever but don't let that be any kind of burden or hassle on you no it won't be i i, I just thought it was funny you guys brought it up because i had had that random thought a couple times i've been sure. working on this i'm sure, like sure. Hmm, gee i wonder if this is going to end up being ya now yeah, oh well could be well, gentlemen, this has been epic. Uh, uh, I, technical difficulties aside, I, I could not be more pleased with the outcome. Um, Dan, here's the deal. Uh, mm -hmm. Write this fucker, all right? I mean, write <laughs> I it, will. write it so Jerry and I, I can read it. Write it, publish it, uh, uh, make it an audio book, put it up in an ebook form, whatever. Share it with the world, and then we will bring you back and we will knight you. <laughs> we will make yeah, you a knight of the round table and sing your praises far and wide. That's the I'm carrot. I'm going to hold you to it, Dave. Oh, dude, bring sing. it. I am so all over that. Thank you so much, Dan, for, for having the courage to, to come up to bring such an awesome story for Jerry and I to work with. We truly appreciate that, man. Wow. I can't thank you guys enough <laughs> for giving me some of your valuable time to work on my little story here so absolutely your help has been invaluable and again i can't thank you guys enough very cool you know you're you're most welcome and jerry holy crap thank you man this this has been a wonderful uh, uh team up I, I so wish brian could have been here because he would have loved this um, but thank you for for infusing the discussion with your perspectives your experience uh, uh, and your insights, it really took us in directions that I, I don't think we could have gone without you, and we really appreciate that, man. It's, it's absolutely my pleasure. <laughs> Excellent. And also, dear friends, thank you uh, for hitting that play button. As always, you complete the circuit uh, for all of this, and I dearly, dearly hope you had as awesome a time as we did uh, during this particular workshop episode. Um, spread the word as always, give us a shout on iTunes, continue the discussion on the posts, uh, the comments section of the posts. We've had lots of great insights offered up by listeners, uh, uh and previous guest hosts and guest writers, uh, on those, uh, comment sections of the post. So please keep that up and Dan, I'll make sure you get a shout when the comments start flowing. Cause I'm sure they will. Oh, excellent. Uh, and yeah, also, give yeah. me any and all ideas, people bring it. 
And you can always drop us a line at the table at roundtablepodcast.com. Friend us and follow us. Subscribe to us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Oh, and at this point, I'm sitting here going, wow, and my head is throbbing, and I'm thinking, but we're not done. Uh, uh, This story workshop may be concluded, but... In a couple of days, it starts all over again with more awesome guest hosts, more amazing guest writers and their fabulous stories, more workshopping, more literary gold to be had by all. Uh, so I do hope you will join us again. Uh, uh, until then, dear friends, Brian would cajole you uh, uh, to inject yourself with nanites and then go right. Uh, and I will tell you that uh, find awesomeness because you find what you're looking for. Uh, so, so set your sniffer on the trail of blue label top shelf goodness, and it will be yours. We will see you in just a few days, my friends. Until then, stay cool, be frosty, be awesome, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode is copyrighted 2012 by the Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it, but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative work, as long as you attribute us as the source and release the work under the same licensing terms. Theme music composed and performed by the talented Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you'd like to be a guest writer or guest host, or learn more about the Roundtable podcast, please visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Our Twitter tag is at writerspodcast or just send us an email at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.